Good morning. Praise the Lord, saints. We're here to praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, saints. All right. Y'all going to get it. All right. <laughs> this morning, I'm here to read the scripture with you. If you would like to use your pew Bible that is located in the back seat pocket of the chair in front of you, you're more than welcome to do that. The pew Bible page is 886. Again, the pew Bible page is 886. We'll be reading from John 1, 4 through 9. John 1, 4 through 9. If you're ready, we can go forward. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. This is the word of God. Good morning. Thanks again for being here. We're so glad you've joined us. We are in our Advent series in the season of Advent. Last Sunday, we began our Advent series in the Gospel of John. The whole month, we will be looking at... John's prologue is what they call it, John 1, 1 to 18. And the word Advent, if you're wondering, why, why do we use that word? What, what's that term mean? It's a Latin term. It simply means coming, coming or arrival. Advent is a season where we look back and we look ahead. So we look back at the coming of Jesus at Christmas, the incarnation, and all that that signifies, all that that means for us. John 1 is actually meant to help us look back with wonder and joy at what God was doing in the incarnation. But Advent is also a season where we look ahead. We look forward to the coming, the advent of Jesus again, his second coming. And we look forward with anticipation at the return of the king where he doesn't come as a baby as he did in the first advent. He comes as a conquering king. And the government will be upon his shoulders, Isaiah tells us, and he'll right every wrong. And of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. Are you looking forward to that day? That's part of Advent, to stoke the, 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 the fire in our hearts, to, to long for that day. So we look back and we look ahead. John 1, you might be thinking, John 1 is not as Christmassy as like Matthew and Luke's gospel. Or Matthew, yeah, Matthew and Luke, they, they help us understand the facts of Christmas, right? If you're looking for the nativity scene, if you're looking for, the, for the, what happened, right? Uh, Mary and, and, the, and the conception, the miraculous conception and the, the trek from her, of her and Joseph to Bethlehem and even Joseph's like, what do I do? And God's like, you know, you gotta marry this woman and, and the shepherds and the angels and the baby born in a manger. That's all in Matthew and Luke. John doesn't give us any of that, you notice. And all those other things are hugely important. Those, those details of the narrative are hugely important. But John does not give us those things. He's not as much interested in what happened at Christmas, but on what those things mean. The significance of those events. 
Matthew and, and Luke are kind of like on the ground level where the rubber meets the road. Here is what happened. And then John comes along and says, let me give you the 30,000 feet to see here's what was really happening. Here's the cosmic Christmas narrative, if you will. And he takes us beyond the beginning of Jesus' earthly life to the very beginning of everything. Right? John 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Right? He just blew it up. He went way back before the birth of Jesus to say, look, before the birth of Jesus, there was always Jesus. And we know from verse 14 that the word he's talking about is Jesus. And so we get this cosmic Christmas story from John. And so even though we don't have the familiar characters, we still have this magnificent explanation of, into the meaning and the significance of Christmas. John wants us to know, who is this Jesus? Why did he come into the world? And so that's why we're in this series, The Word Became Flesh. There's a lot of foundational, tr foundational truths found in these first 18 verses. Foundational truths of Christianity, like Jesus is God. Like God is Trinity. Right? That he's a relational God. He's one God, one essence, one being in three distinct persons. Which means God has always been and forever will be a relational God. There's love within the Godhead. But today, John opens up to us another truth that helps us appreciate Christmas. And that is, Jesus is light for our dark world. He is light for our darkness. And that's a very Christmassy theme, isn't it? Right? John 1 doesn't feel very Christmassy, but, but this theme does because we know the Christmas story is full of references to darkness and light. Right? The angels visit the shepherds when? At night, and then the glory of the Lord, the dazzling light of God's presence shines in the night. There's darkness and light. When the wise men go to visit this newborn king, what are they following? A star shining brightly in the night. And when Isaiah prophesies the Christmas story, what does he say? The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. You see it? Even today much of our Christmas traditions are filled with the same theme, right? We put lights on our houses. We spend hours and we risk our lives to put lights on our houses, literally. I had a dear friends help me do it because I was so scared to do it this week. We put lights on our houses. Why? So that we can walk around and see lights shining into the night, right? There's some, something about that that gives us hope. We, why do we spend all the energy and time putting these decorations up in our sanctuary? The wreaths are beautiful and the garlands are nice, but, but it's the lights, right? It's the lights that remind us this is the beauty of Christmas. It feels like Christmas. And of course, we even decorate our trees in our homes, right? And if you're anything like me, there are times in the Christmas season when, when everyone's in bed, you turn out all the other lights and you just have the lights on on the tree and you sit there and you just, in silent wonder, just ponder the beauty of those lights and the meaning of Christmas. We love Christmas lights, don't we? Why is there this emphasis on darkness and light in the Christmas story? Here's why. Because it accurately and vividly captures our human existence. I want to show you that. I want to show you what I mean. 
that the darkness and light is a part of the Christmas story and really is a part of God's narrative from the beginning to the end of the Bible, it's really capturing our human existence. So two lessons. Lesson number one, we live in a world full of darkness. In John, 4, John 1, 4 to 9, he references light seven times. And, and please understand, he's not just referring to physical light, but to spiritual light. Same with the darkness. Not just physical darkness, he's talking about spiritual darkness. And we see in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We understand darkness and light are not neutral. They are opposed to each other. That's what he's telling us. In fact, some translations say at the end of verse 5, and the darkness did not comprehend it. That's because there's this interesting Greek word here that can sometimes mean comprehend and sometimes mean overcome. And just like we learned in the book of James, words can have different nuances but depending on the context. And I think here John is being intentionally ambiguous about the meaning because both are true. We are hostile to the light and we simply don't understand the light. Why? Because we live in a world full of darkness. There is this intense struggle between darkness and light, and John introduces that struggle here. And in the rest of the gospel, he's going to show us the severe opposition to Jesus, right? His ministry and his message are opposed at every turn. But here's the problem John is making clear. The world is a dark place, and we have no idea how to get the light. And here's what also he's saying. Generally, we don't even want the light. Jesus says this very thing in, three cha- in two more chapters. In John chapter 3, Jesus is sitting with a religious leader named Nicodemus, and he's meeting with him when? Huh, at night. Go figure. In the darkness. And he's talking to Jesus because he's scared about what other people might think if, if he's talking to this man who claims to be right, God in the flesh, and he, but he wants to understand and he wants to, and he wants to grow. And Jesus tells him flat out, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world and people love darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. The world that Jesus enters and the world that Jesus loves is ironically a world that largely will reject his light and his love. We live in a world full of darkness. And darkness in the Bible is repeatedly meant to be a metaphor for everything that is wrong in our world. Darkness represents all the evil and all the suffering in our world. Darkness was prevalent at the birth of Jesus. Herod finds out there's this baby king who's going to be born, who has been born, and what does he do? He slaughters all the children in Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph literally have to flee to Egypt to protect the life of baby Jesus. Do you see the darkness? I'm not just talking about the physical darkness and lights in the sky. I'm talking about real spiritual darkness, sorrow and injustice and abuse of power. That's darkness. Darkness is what's wrong with the world. It's our sin. And the problem is that because of the nature of darkness to distort and deceive, we actually think sin is freeing and satisfying. You see, darkness distorts, doesn't it? 
You, you, you can't see, and it deceives. You're not sure what's there. And, but in, in, so in many ways, people love darkness more than light. Because it, spiritually speaking, darkness represents independence from God. Right? Freedom from God's reign and authority in our lives. And the problem is, what we think is freedom is actually slavery. We just trade one God for another God. And the thing about darkness is, it's very oppressive. It's not freedom. You ever find yourself having to move around in a dark room? Maybe you had to get up in the middle of the night to use the bathroom or, or, or you, you forgot, oh, I had to go, 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 go get something and you get up and, and it's scary, isn't it? It's unnerving. You, you, you've been in that room for how long and you still don't know something might be in your way. A little Lego piece might be right there to be a dagger in your foot. At least for me. The darkness messes with your mind. Maybe you didn't get up out of bed, but ever been awake at night in the dark? It's the worst, isn't it? It messes with you. I remember in high school, my first time I had to pull an all-nighter uh, on this science project, and I had never done it before, and I hate staying up late at night, and so 11, 12 o'clock at night, I'm working, okay, I'm, I'm fine, I'm drinking a caffeine, 1, 2 a.m., you get to the 3 and 4 a.m. time, and the darkness messes with you. You feel like you're the only person in the world who's awake. And you start feeling pity and, and all kinds of insecurity because that's what darkness does. It leaves you feeling insecure and lost. Have you ever been overwhelmed by the darkness around you? Ever about, but just been felt overwhelmed that when you think about the darkness, the devastating impact that COVID has had over the last two years? The racial tension in our country, in our world, the broken marriages that we see, the, the work drama, all the, all the politicking at work, right? The betrayal of a friend. So many diseases. Maybe the darkness that is the worst of them all, the, the death of a loved one. Have you ever felt like the darkness is just too thick? And yet I would submit to you the scarier thing to do is to actually look at the darkness in our own hearts. The pride that comes out, the sense of self-justification at every turn. I can, I can defend myself. I know that I'm right. The anger or resentment towards that family member, the lustful thoughts that plague your mind, the critical spirit that makes people feel like they can never get it right when they're around you, the need to always be in control, the stinginess with your resources. There is darkness out there, yes, but make no mistake, there is darkness in here. And here's the thing. Darkness represents evil, yes, but it also represents ignorance. Not only are we in the dark, we don't know how to get in the light. We don't have the ability to solve our darkness problem. We think we do. We think, well, just offer more education. That'll bring the light. We think a better form of government can bring the light. We think just laws can bring the light. We think the right politicians can bring the light. We think better advances in science and technology can bring the light. We think personal autonomy can bring the light. Let everyone do what makes them happy. We think these things will bring us the light. So let me just ask you, how's all that working out for us? Is the world beaming with light right now? 
then just maybe we ought to step back and say, wow, every time we try to look within us to manufacture light, it always leads to greater darkness. You see, darkness cannot produce light. Don't you see, that's what John is telling us. He's saying this is the point of Christmas. Verse 9, the true light that was coming into the world. God knew that we are living in darkness and we needed light and we don't even know how to get light and sometimes we don't even want light and we certainly can't manufacture light, but we needed light, not from within, but from above. And that's why Jesus came to this world. That's why Jesus was saying that same conversation with Nicodemus, for God so loved the world. Yes, it's a world full of darkness, but he loves the world. He loves the people in it, and that's why he came. What leads us to lesson number two? Jesus Christ is the life-giving light for our darkness. Jesus Christ is the life-giving light for our darkness. John is writing to show us there is hope for our darkness. But before talking about the true light in verse 9, he says in verse eight and, uh, 7 and 8, he brings up John the Baptist. He says, as the one who came to bear witness about the light. He wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. You see, the light of Jesus was so epic, so world-altering, that a special messenger was needed just to prepare the way for the light. Enter J.B. And we're actually going to spend a whole sermon talking about John the Baptist in a few weeks. So, but let me just say a few things here. John's singular mission in life was to prepare people to receive the light. He came to confirm the identity of Jesus as the Messiah, as the one who could save us from our sin. And he came to stir up hope in a people that had become weary. You realize at this time, the Jewish people had not heard from God. They did not have a prophet for over 400 years. And then John comes along because they had been forgetful of God's promises. They had lost hope in God. They had lost faith. And John comes along and invites people to renew their belief that God was still working to rescue his people. Sometimes we need an infusion of hope as well. We need reminders that God is still at work in the life of his people, don't we? And God isn't going to send another John the Baptist, but you know why? He doesn't have to. Because we are all witnesses to the faithfulness and goodness of God. We can love our neighbors right now as a witness to the light. We can serve our fellow church members when they're in need, physically, spiritually, emotionally. We can pray for one another. And I mean genuinely, uh, sacrifice time to pray for one another. We can be involved in each other's lives to help keep hope alive. Just like John, you can bear witness to the light of Christmas. I'm just asking, are you doing that? Are you bearing witness to the light? Look again at verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. What does that mean? Think about the nature of light. What does light do? It exposes, right? When you, when you light something, it exposes what's around. It dispels the darkness. If I were to turn all the lights off in this room, you would just see the simple light shining brightly. The light always illuminates the darkness. Jesus as the light exposes every person for what they are. 
No one can hide from the power of the light of Christ. And when Jesus exposes our hearts, what does he reveal? Well, the depth of our darkness, the depth of our wickedness. And while that seems like an incredibly scary thing, it's actually very freeing and life-giving. You see, without the light of Jesus shining in our hearts, you can't experience true life. You can't experience the light of life, verse 4. That's why Jesus says in John 8, 12, he stood up in front of a crowd and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Only Jesus can provide you with life. Listen, he may not fix all of your problems. In fact, I know he, he won't. But that's because your greatest need today is not a problem solver. Your greatest need is a savior. We need life. We need life filled with a love that, that cannot be taken away, with a, a freedom that is true freedom within the limits of, so that we can be free within those bounds. We need a hope that is a living hope, and that is what Jesus offers. You see, light in the Bible is a symbol of God's salvation. That's why verse 9 is such good news. The true light has come into our world, and it's a light offered to everyone. It's not an exclusive light. It's not like, not for you, not for you. No, everyone, come, have the light, everyone. That's good news. 2,000 years ago, Jesus quietly slipped into our world, into our dark world. And he didn't come with dazzling light. He didn't come with a spotlight. He didn't come with like, you know, blazing furnace fire or anything like that. He came as a little baby. He literally came in the back door. In Bethlehem, God's answer to everything that terrorized us as a people. God's answer to our deepest longings and our greatest fears is a child. A child will bring light into our darkness. A child will bring freedom from our oppression from sin. And a child will turn our mourning into into dancing. God himself came down. The word became flesh. He didn't send an angel or an animal. He didn't send a theology book for us to read. He sent himself, a person. And listen, if you're not a Christian, I just want to say this. If you're not a Christian here, maybe you're exploring Christianity. Maybe, maybe you're kind of resistant, but you're here or you're watching. You're trying to understand. I know this sounds crazy because even for us as Christians, it's pretty mind-boggling that the child lying in a manger, that helpless baby is the hope of the world. If you're looking for hope this Christmas, you won't find it in that perfect gift. You won't find it in that relationship that you're longing for. You won't find it in the family coming together finally and being okay with each other. No. You won't find it in physical healing. Not that those things are bad things. Those are good things. But all of those things will ultimately disappoint us. Gifts, relationships, our bodies, they're all going to wear out. Hope is found in a person. Jesus, the light of the world. And the power of his light, verse 5 says, can overcome the darkness. How did he do this? How does his light overcome darkness? How does the darkness overpower it? Well, he becomes a human just like us. You see, Christianity is the only faith in the world that says 
God came down to us to be one of us and to suffer and die as one of us. When you cry out to God in the Christian faith, we know that he understands our pain and our sorrow because he himself lived in a dark and broken world. He experienced rejection from family. He experienced alienation from friends and and loneliness and poverty and physical abuse and the loss of loved ones. Jesus knows what you're going through. Why does this matter? Because even though we might still struggle with the question of why God has not dealt with evil and suffering once and for all, while we still might have that question and wrestle with it for the rest of our days, we do know that the answer can't be that he doesn't love us. That can't be the answer. Look what he did to show us how much he loved us. He came down to us. And when you realize you have a God who is sympathetic to your suffering, then you can have real hope in a God who can do something about that suffering. And that's exactly what this child did. Jesus came to shine the light of hope in our dark hearts and our dark world. How deep is that darkness, you say? How much, how much did he have to really? Look at verse 10. I'm going ahead of myself, but it's, it's needed. He was in the world and the world, sorry, verse 11. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. The very people Jesus came to save actually rejected him. Not only did they reject him, but he was beaten, humiliated, and killed on a cross. Most of us know this, that the worst kind of pain in the world is rejected love. And Jesus experienced the worst that this world had to offer. And he dies on a cross. And he doesn't just suffer with us. He died for us. He took our sin on the cross. If he just does what everybody else does, you're thinking, oh, wow. Oh, he's a model for how to suffer well. No, no. You see, the light of the world did what no one else could do. He was plunged into utter darkness. That's what happens on the cross. On the cross, his light is snuffed out. On the cross, think about this. Matthew 27, 45 says, when Jesus hung hung on the cross, there was physical darkness. Darkness covered the land. It was almost like creation knew something is wrong in the murdering of this man. But then the very next verse, 46, Jesus cries out because of the spiritual darkness. And he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you see what's happening The cross is the ultimate attempt of darkness to snuff out the light. Jesus was taking all of our darkness on the cross. All of your selfishness. I'm not not greedy, but yeah, but you're selfish. I don't have relationship issues. Well, no, now you're self-deceived. All of our selfishness, all of our sin, he took it on the cross. He had to die for our sins because death is the ultimate consequence for our darkness. And listen, if I were to die for my own and be punished for my own darkness, that would be just. That would be fair. But God, being rich in mercy and abounding in love and grace, chose to take my darkness and your darkness onto himself. And John will show us later that in, the, in this gospel, if you read the end of the gospel, you find that actually the cross is not a sign of defeat. It's a sign of glory. It's a symbol of victory. You see, in the greatest plot twist ever, on the cross, 
Darkness doesn't overcome the light. Jesus overcomes the darkness. He takes our death. We get his life. He takes our darkness. We get his light. He takes our condemnation for sin, our justice against sin, and we get his righteousness, his perfect record. And in the resurrection, listen, I wish I was a magician. I wish I could be like, boom, look, the light turned back on, but I'm not, right? I don't have, you know, special candles. But in the resurrection, Jesus proves that his light overcomes the darkness. It triumphs over the darkness. Darkness can never overcome the light of Christ. It can't because he's risen from the dead. The worst that darkness can do is lead us into death. And Jesus says, oh, is that all you got? Because I'm still alive. You see what this means for your life? Right now, 2021, Jesus the light continues to shine in our darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Can any darkness you face today, change the reality that Jesus is the risen Christ? No. Not, not whatever you think is the, is the bad thing. Not an over-commercialized holiday. That can't do it. Not COVID. Not racial injustice. Not divorce. Not your besetting sin that plagues you. Not the death of a dream. Not cancer. Not diabetes. Whatever you put in, you fill in the blank. It cannot change the reality that our Jesus is a risen Christ. He is the light of the world. And if you are in Christ, your union with Christ, that means that the light triumphs over darkness in you. In you. When you're united to Jesus, your life is united to his resurrection life, and that means no matter what darkness you face, the worst thing that darkness can do to you is to bring you into the glorious light of God's presence. And man, it stinks week after week and month after month having to stand up here and, and do funerals and walk with families and deal with the pain and the heartache and the, and the devastation. And it feels like, God, the darkness is overwhelming. And sometimes I just need to be reminded his light will never go out. And the worst that darkness can do is bring us into a place where we experience fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. And yeah, it's hard for us, but the, for the one who trusts Christ and experiences that, it's a graduation. It's not a demotion. It's not a snuffing out of light. It's a lighting of the light in the truest sense. In Jesus, you, Christian, in him, him and you, that means you're more than a conqueror, both now and forever. Do you see why the light of Christ can bring joy and hope today? Let me just ask you, are you in the light? Do you know the true light of Jesus has triumphed over your darkness? That's the offer of Jesus in the gospel. It's an invitation. The true light, which he has light to anyone, everyone, was coming into the world. And later he'll say to all who receive him, you have to receive the light. Look again what John the Baptist came to do. He came, verse 7, as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. The way you receive the light of Jesus Christ is to believe that he is who he says he is and he came to do what he says he would do. To put your trust in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus on your behalf, in your place, that he did it for you 
to rescue you from darkness and bring you into light, to believe that and to submit to his rule and reign over your life. That's what it means to receive, to believe. You see, believing is receiving the gift of salvation that Jesus offers you. It doesn't mean coming to church. It doesn't mean following the Ten Commandments. Some of you think, I'm a Christian because I've, I grew up in church. I learned the Ten Commandments. I studied all the Iwana verses. No, that doesn't make you a Christian unless you repent and believe. Unless you move from darkness into light. He offers it to you freely. You can't achieve it. You can't, you can't earn it. It's, it's good news because you receive it. Christian, let me ask you this as we close. Are you walking in the light? You say, I already have the light, but are you walking in the light using Jesus' own words? Are you reflecting the light of Christ by how you live? You see, Jesus didn't just say, I am the light of the world. You know, at one point he actually said, you are the light of the world. You. You are the light of the world. You're the John the Baptist now. You're not the light. You bear witness to the light. Let your light shine, Jesus says, before others, that they might see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Church, this is not a time to shrink back and do nothing. All the temptation of the darkness pressing against us, the temptation is put our heads in the sand, do nothing, hold back, put up walls, darkness is spreading, fear, anger, financial insecurity, societal unrest, sexual confusion. Ah, we, don't, we, gotta, we gotta bunker down. No, you don't. No, you don't. You have the light of the world. You're gonna bunker down? You're gonna hide your light? No. Jesus says that's ridiculous. Shine. You see, I'm just a single candle. Yeah, but a single candle can dispel the darkness. You know, if you're in a flat place and you turn and all the lights are out in the desert, you can see a single candle for two miles. Don't tell me your light isn't shining bright enough. You say, well, I'm just a single candle. Yeah, but many single candles together can light up the world. Church, be of good cheer. Take heart today. Christ has overcome our darkness. Now go shine the light of Jesus. Keep believing Jesus is the life-giving light for our darkness. Let's pray. Jesus, we look to you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who was there in the beginning, and yet you came into our world. Lord, we can't even fathom what you gave up. Let alone what you endured as a human. We can't even fathom what you gave up to, to endure those things. What love. What unbelievable love. All because you wanted to share the love within the Trinity with us. The true light, which is shining for everyone, is coming into the world. Thank you. This is Christmas. This is the Christmas story explained. The true light. I pray that everyone who is here, everyone who's listening, might say, I know that I have the light. Jesus, we know that the, the greatest miracle is when you shine the light into hearts and people 
understand the depth of their darkness and cry out to you in desperation that you would save, that you would rescue, that you would redeem, that you would make new, and you shine your light into their hearts and you make them a new creation. I pray right now, maybe it's a child, maybe it's someone who's come to church for a long time, maybe it's someone who's, who's thought they've lived a Christian life because they're trying to do good but have never turned and trusted in Christ. I pray right now would be the moment of salvation where we cry out to you in faith, receiving your gift. God, and I pray that at this church, with individual tiny little lights, might be willing to say, we'll let our light shine. We'll let the light of Christ reflect through us. We'll do whatever it takes to love one another, to love this community, to go into a dark world because we know your light triumphs over darkness. Give us that kind of confidence, that kind of fearlessness, that kind of assurance so that we say, come what may, Jesus, we're gonna let this light shine for you. Until you come again, Lord, until your second advent, it may be today, it may be tomorrow, until that day, Lord, we want to shine the light in this dark world for your glory, for our good. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.